Hey everyone, welcome to Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Brie Marie from livingbrilliant.com. I'm a blogger, online course creator, a mindset and success strategist, and now a podcast host. This podcast is all about how our mindset creates the reality of every aspect of our lives, from money, to relationships, to careers, to entrepreneurship, and even our health and wellness. I know firsthand just how powerful our mindset is, and just how easy it can be to get lost in the complexities of life. Through my own journeys with anxiety, a tough career transition, building a blog from scratch, and a super shaky start with online entrepreneurship, I've been able to connect with experts, coaches, entrepreneurs, and other bloggers from all around the world who are now excited to share their transformational stories and mindset shifts with you. So let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life. On today's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Mira Jolie, who is a life coach and business mentor based out of Los Angeles, California. She supports ambitious women to find their passion, rock their confidence, and transition careers or launch their very first business. Mira and I connected because we both had a quarter midlife crisis, and it was in listening to her story that I realized that we can repurpose our struggles by honing in on how we get out of some really sticky situations. These processes and learning lessons then become the catalysts of what drives our business. But Mira and I talk more than just business. Mira identifies with the LGBTQ community and I am straight. So this sparked the discussion of defying gender and societal roles. And we both get really candid about how we don't cave under societal pressure and trailblaze our own paths. I thoroughly enjoy getting to know Mira and she offers so much value as someone who's also in the online space and as a friend. My favorite quality about Mira is that she truly owns who she is at every step of her life, and that inspires me to do the same. All of Mira's links will be in the episode description, so please head over to her Instagram or Facebook group to learn more about her and follow her story. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Mira. How are you? Hi, fabulous. How are you? I'm doing well. So Mira's last name is Jolie, which I absolutely love. I love your name, Mira Jolie. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's a chosen name, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll get into that later, I'm sure. (laughs) Very cool. Um, So I met Mira through an app called Shaper. And the easiest way to describe Shaper is basically like a Tinder for professional networking. Do you say that's fair? Yep. It's almost exactly like Tinder for professional networking, except no salacious emojis. Yeah. Yeah. And like, no, you can include your Instagram and like your LinkedIn and also target specifically like what you're looking for. If you're looking for mentors or 
networking opportunities or jobs or freelance gigs. So it's really interesting. I had a good friend who mentioned it to me and then that's where me and Mira met. And she is also a life coach and business mentor. And one of the reasons why I was so excited to have her on the podcast is just because of her really interesting story that she's had that has gotten her to this point of becoming life coach and a business mentor. So Mira, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do and where you're from? Sure. I'll start with professional and then I'll go into the much more interesting personal side. Yeah. As a life coach and business mentor, I support ambitious women in their twenties and thirties to find their passion, to rock their confidence, to get super productive and stay balanced while transitioning careers or launching their first business. Uh, I've nicknamed my audience Ambitionista, hashtag Ambitionista for anyone who wants to kind of find me around the interwebs. Uh, And I'm just really passionate about creating more female role models in the world. I want to know that my daughter's generation grows up with a diverse and inspiring group of women to look up to, not just in her real life, but out there in the world, people that she can find on social media. And so this is my way of contributing to that, uplifting the women in their 20s and 30s who don't have the support they need to get where they want to be. One of the things that Mira and I bonded with over pretty quickly was that we both worked in corporate America jobs at a very young age. and in return, we both had a kind of a quarter life crisis. So why don't you kind of unpack that a bit? Sure. When I look back at my journey, I'm 36 now, and I'm going to say that, let me just rewind to like age 19 or 20. What I can say about my life is that it's been incredibly unconventional. I've done a lot of things that are outside of the box, and I think we'll unfold that as the story goes on. So that's sort of the setting the tone for the rest of the conversation. I was the girl at 20 years old who wrote a list of goals for the next 10 years. And I had a goal for every month of my life until I hit 30. And I thought it was going to go exactly as planned. (laughs) And of course, like it's not how life works. Right. (laughs) I'm such an, I'm such an optimist. Um, So I really thought I was going to be like married and have kids and have a business and own rental property and just have it all together by the time I was 30. And uh, expectation hangover, as one of my colleagues calls it, um, is waking up one day and realizing that it didn't go according to plan at all. And I feel really unfulfilled and unhappy about it. Um, So if you're listening and you're going through that, I just want you to know that's normal, especially if you're somewhere between 25 and 30. It's, It's really intense during those years because we feel like we're supposed to have it together. Like adult life starts at 30, right? So I don't know, I guess it depends on who you are, but like you kind of have permission to mess up in your twenties, but then there's this like pressure to have it together in your thirties. So I totally agree. I'm, I fall in that between 25 and 30 Mm -hmm. age range and I am not doing anything that I thought that I was going to be doing (laughs) by the time I was the same. I feel like I'm doing other things that are more meaningful to me than buying a house or, I mean, getting married is an important thing as well, but not in the same, I guess, spectrum. So you had this corporate job and you decided to quit this job. And then where did you move to? You got it almost right. So I (laughs) I was in Southeast Georgia. I was a gay chick in Southeast Georgia in the middle of the Bible Belt 
very unhappy with life. It was not the right place for me. And when I decided I wanted to move somewhere else, I'd come from a military background. So I was kind of used to moving and I was kind of itching for a move anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided to move all the way across the country from Southeast Georgia to Northwest um, Oregon and Portland, Salem, Portland. I went to Salem. That's right. Salem, Portland. Yeah. Um, and I was able to transfer with my corporate job. So I kind of used my la- one of my last corporate jobs as a, as a launch pad to get the heck out of the part of the country that I just didn't feel I was suited to. Mm-hmm. And um, I lasted for a little while longer, but I already had this itch to run my own business. It had, been, it had been growing in me for years. This is around the age 25 when this transition happened. And I started looking for ways to make a living elsewhere. I just didn't want to stay in the corporate structure. It felt oppressive. It felt frustrating for me. Uh, I was good at it. I was successful, but it's just, it didn't feel like a long-term plan for me. So I started looking at how I could bartend or do freelance graphic design or like what are the other options that can free up my time and make me some extra money and like maybe I can quit my job. So I did finally quit that job and um, moved on to another job. And I I kind of went from like big corporate to smaller businesses. And that helped to feel like I was making more of an impact. And I was um, more in the entrepreneurial mindset because I was working with smaller businesses. Um, But still along the way, looking for that side hustle and dabbling in that side hustle. And, you know, when you're in your late, mid to late 20s, you still go out and party and have a good time. And I was in Portland, Oregon, and the city is known for its kind of keep it weird alternative culture. And there's just so many creative individuals. And I was out drinking one night, I think it was Halloween or something. And I ended up in, um, in a space with a bunch of really cool girls and I got to know them. And a couple of them revealed to me that they were strippers, exotic dancers. And I remember kind of having my mind blown because I thought, I don't know, it broke all my stereotypes for what I thought a stripper was because they just seemed so real and normal like, to me, whatever normal means. Right. Um, and so my gears started turning and I was like, uh-huh, okay, they make really good money and I hate the cubicle that I'm sitting in right now. And like, I could actually, I think I could do that. I think I would actually enjoy that. So that was sort of what I think of as one of the catalysts for my quarter life crisis. Like, when you think of a crisis, midlife crisis, quarter life crisis, you think of someone doing something kind of outside of the box and radical, like cutting off all their hair or buying a fancy car or leaving a job, you know, doing something different. So that's not a decision that a lot of people would make, but it's a decision that I made. And I'm actually in hindsight, very proud of it. I grew a lot as a person and I used the income from being a dancer to launch another business uh, as a, as a nightclub promoter made really good money in event planning, uh, also did some freelance graphic design, also did some bartending, just kind of like dug in and tried all the things. Um, all the while, I was living in a really gloomy climate, and I hadn't really taken that into account when I moved to Portland. Turns out I'm very seasonally affected by gray weather for nine months out of the year. I don't know how anyone else couldn't be, but some people survived Portland just fine. It wasn't for me, so I started to get depressed. I also was in a relationship that was emotionally abusive. I also was starting to realize that all of these things I was doing for a career were fun, but they weren't my passion. They weren't actually what I'm here on the planet to do. And so I was feeling professionally unfulfilled. I was feeling relationally challenged by that. I mean, that was the kind of relationship where you're yelling at like three in the morning and you just want to go sleep in your car to get away from the person you're dating. Um, we were living together. So that was rough. And, um, and I just, I was so depressed because of the weather. So this 
resulted in a breaking point where I became suicidally depressed. I had really thought through all the options to take myself out of the planet and I'd narrowed it down to how I was going to do it. And I knew at that point that I really needed, I needed some kind of support because it wasn't working the way I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't blame it on any one thing. It was just like my life was, was making me feel hopeless. And so around that time, I just remember laying in my bed one day and I think I was trying to journal or I was just trying to get out of bed that day. I couldn't get out of bed, but I'm, I'm just sitting there and feeling hopeless and thinking about jumping off that bridge. And I got this download from the only thing I can describe it as would be a higher power or a a goddess energy or like a, like a spiritual hug saying like, Hey, what you're going through, you're going to get through and you're going to use the story to inspire other people. So I want you to hold on and I want you to keep going because I need you to, I need you to, this is not the end for you. And it sounds so cliche, but that's exactly how it felt. It was almost like um, a warm um, presence in, in the room all of a sudden. And, I, and that was kind of like a, a shift for me where I said, okay, it sucks right now and it's probably gonna keep sucking for a while, but I'm gonna do what I have to do to get out of this. So I hired a therapist and I started reading a lot of inspirational books and going to seminars that were designed to get me out of my comfort zone and stretch me and grow me. And um, ultimately I also found a life coach in that time. And over a period of about nine months, I decided to leave the relationship, leave the city and leave the whole career path behind and move to Los Angeles. That is amazing. (laughs) Love hearing that, your story. Um, and one of the things, well, first I want to say, I think like the most beautiful part about your entire experience has been that you've been able to use those experiences that you've been through as a catalyst for your coaching practice. And I know in one of our conversations, you had revealed to me that actually when you were 24, what's 24, you kind of had this like inkling to become a coach, but you're like, I don't really know. So what was the mindset shift? Because at this point, when you decided to move to LA, what was the shift from when you were, you know, thinking like, maybe I could be a life coach, maybe I I shouldn't? Um, I'm glad you brought that up, because I did kind of skip over that. There's so many things happening in layers in my life during that time. Um, And one of those layers, I didn't even talk about drug and alcohol abuse, like there was just so many layers. But um, I never stopped being ambitious and I never stopped believing that I could make a difference in the world and looking for ways that, you know, live it up in my twenties. Cause I'm only going to be in my twenties once, but also right. like really try to focus on what the big picture was. And I remember before I left my last corporate job to become a dancer, I had run into someone at a chamber of commerce meeting who stood up on a microphone. We were doing like introductions roundtable style. And she said, hi, my name's Jen. I'm a life coach. I help people set and reach their goals. And I just had this click moment where I was like, wait, that's a thing. I can get paid for that. I do that anyway. Like I love that. <laughs> How did I not know? Like I wish someone had told me when I was 18 that this was a thing I could do. So 24, I had that moment of clarity where I was like, okay, that's something I can do. And I took the woman to lunch and I asked her all the questions and I, I made like a bookmark in my brain that like I would come back to that. I would, that's definitely what I wanted, but I didn't feel ready. And I proceeded to run away from it, which is where I went to become a dancer. And I started all these businesses and I did all these things. That was kind of me like going out to try to experience life to make sure that coaching was what I wanted to do. Like maybe there was some other path I could take because I was too afraid 
to step into that. It felt huge. It felt scary. It felt like no one would take me seriously. Like, who am I to tell you how to live your life? I don't even have my own life together. So there's a lot of that imposter syndrome stuff coming up for me during those years. Yeah, I definitely think that everyone kind of experiences that when they first start an online business or just coaching or any kind of entrepreneurs, like they face those fears of like, who am I to do this? Like, can I really do this? And it's terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying in the beginning. Um, So you moved to LA for a fresh start and just kind of rekindling some new energy. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of want to dive into mindset and you've, you've talked about how you've had some more radical lifestyle choices that really made you own who you are. So what was that mindset shift when you, to finally kind of move closer and closer into alignment with who you wanted to be? Moving to LA was a fresh start. I got to start over with my environment, with who I wanted to be. Like anyone who was meeting me in this new city didn't know my past. I could tell them whatever I wanted, but you know, I could, I could create this new person. Um, I knew I wanted to go ahead and start that coaching business and this was a great time to do it. And I was really, really committed to walking my talk. So if I was going to become a coach, I needed to do the things that I would coach other people to do. So I was, I was coaching myself through the process. I also had a paid coach. I've had multiple paid coaches over the years. Um, but I, ne- I wanted to get an integrity. So this was me working with affirmations. This was me working through a lot of the classic personal development books that I had always meant to read, but actually sat down and got through them. This was learning meditation. This was having a gratitude practice. This was journaling. This was you know, putting myself out there and networking with people, even if it made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. All of the things that you know are good for you, you know, learning how to meal plan and taking good care of my body, self-care, developing boundaries, just all the stuff that I felt like was a rite of passage into it to like becoming a fully empowered and um, boss kind of woman, you know, like I needed to become that in order to be able to coach that. And when I finally did launch my business around 2013, 12, 13, it was right around my 30th birthday. Um, I was really terrified to be 100% myself in my marketing. I felt like who I was would turn off too many people and no one would want to work with me that, that all the weirdness about me was, was the problem. And I needed to kind of sanitize that. And so I had this like very mainstream looking, perfect blonde hair and I tried to look as perfect and put together and corporate as possible in my headshots, which I, you know, you could say I kind of still do, but I have no hair now. I've shaved all my hair off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it does make me look a little edgier. So but let me just go through a laundry list of reasons why I think I'm too weird to be a coach or why I thought so. Uh, first of all, I was LGBTQ, uh, a lesbian, but in that community, um, I had been a sex worker. I think anything in the adult industry is really considered sex work. I didn't actually, I dropped out of college. I didn't even talk about that. I was a college dropout, which I thought would disqualify me. I choose to be in open relationships. So being kind of non-monogamous is a little bit radical and weird. I go to Burning Man. Um, I ultimately shaved off all my hair, which I thought would be a problem for my brand. Did I miss some things? I live my life car free. There's just so many things. There's so many things. And 
it was in owning all of those parts of me and starting to gradually put those, that truth out online that the right people started finding me, that I started creating more of an impact in my business and my brand. And people were like, wow, you're so brave or you're so cool or you're so interesting. You're just like me. Or I know that if I work with you, that you're not going to judge me because you've like been through it. Um, And that was where the shift really started to happen where I was like, oh, okay, who I am is actually the only person that can attract my perfect client. And I have to show Mm -hmm. all of those parts of me. So that's been the journey. And today being able to tell the story to you is so interesting (laughs) because it made me so nervous at the time. I was really afraid to tell that story. And now it's just a non-issue. Yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing that I appreciate. I think the most about people like you is when they're able to talk about their story in such a way of like, it wasn't a mistake, but it was a learning experience. Like I'm able to utilize those tools that I had to, whether they were intrinsically or if you had to learn them from a coach or from someone else, like you're able to utilize those experiences to not only help yourself, but help someone else. And I always talk about this too. I think it's so easy, especially on social media, to see the finished product. And to me, that doesn't like interest me. I think, okay, great. Like you're able to make X amount in sales or have X amount of clients or, you know, make X amount of dollars annually. And that's all fine and dandy. But what's interesting to me is like that process of how someone got to that point. Like that is more intriguing to me. And I think I find more, I don't want to say leverage, but more power and inspiration in people talking about those tough times of you know, being like, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. Like I might, I want to drop out of college. Like I wanted to try all of these different things. So I think that it's awesome. And I think it's so great that you're able to own it. And I think that other people will be able to find the right clients will be able to find the light in that. Um, and I know that you talked about being part of the LGBTQ community. And I said that right. I kept saying LGBTQT, so I'm so proud of myself. Um, And then that kind of unfolded into us talking about the differences of kind of expectations for straight people and LGBTQ LGBTQ communities. So what is kind of your perspective on that? Because I thought you brought up some really interesting points. Yeah, I'm so happy that we're talking about this because I got really inspired to bring up the differences between straight women and queer women um, on a Facebook group one time and it started to go well, but then as Facebook groups do, it kind of went downhill. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. It's a controlled environment. So I live in a very straight world. Every movie that I watch tends to be a straight narrative. All the weddings around me are mostly straight weddings. You see mostly straight people holding hands on, on, the, on the sidewalk. Like most places you go, that narrative is very reinforced. And as such, it was expected of me too before I came out of the closet at 17. Like, of course my mom thought I was going to grow up and get married and have babies and do the, do the quote straight thing. Um, and so when I look at it, it's like there's this prescribed path that not, not only that path that I just described, but also this, this expectation of how you look and how you act that straight women have to live within and you may not even realize it because it's just it's like the water you swim in you know it's the it's the environment we live in um and when you're queer you 
I mean, as soon as you come out, you realize like, wow, okay, I don't have to play by those rules anymore because I'm so different. And I get to, I get to decide how that looks in my life. Like for instance, um, I proposed to my wife. Well, we're both women, so I guess it doesn't matter who does it, but she's the more masculine one and I'm the more feminine one. So maybe people would think based on the rules of society that she would be the one proposing to me. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And I wish more straight men would propose to their, to their boyfriends. I think that'd be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, as, as an example, like there's just so many different ways that I get to make up my own rules as a queer person because I don't have to live within the expectations the way that you might. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I have, I don't think I've ever really talked to anyone about it other than you and maybe like a couple of other people, but it is like as a straight woman, like the quote expectation is that you, you know, after high school, you go to college, you find some guy that you met there when you were like 18 years old, and then you marry him, you have a career, you buy a house and a kid, and you like travel to, I don't know, Cancun or Vancouver like twice a year and like you buy a house and have like the white picket fence and that's like you're supposed to be happy with that and I feel like I that's what I wanted for a really long time like that at this point in my life I thought that I would have those things and I feel like it took me a while to not be disappointed that those things didn't come to fruition for me but at the same time I'm really grateful and proud of like where I'm at right now because I am doing something different. Like it still is a very like trailblazing type of path to take to be an online entrepreneur or just an entrepreneur in general and kind of go off that, that path that is so ingrained in us from the start of like, this is what you're supposed to do. And I also want to bring up too, and I see this a lot and I've seen this even on my own blog. Um, where women, it becomes like a woman versus woman type of thing, where women who are wives and mothers think that they are better or more of a woman because they have a child or they have a husband. And like women who maybe have a career or take the entrepreneur path or want to go seek higher education or just stray away from that mold are somehow less than, or they must have like all of this free time and all of those things. And I'm like, that is the exact opposite of what should be happening. Like just because a woman decides to not have children or not get married, it doesn't make her any less of a woman than those who choose to do something different. Absolutely. That is such a huge thing. Like any woman who decides at an early age that she's not going to have children is judged and second guessed and people get all up in her business about it. And it's just, why? Like, can we just live our lives the way that it feels right to us? One of my favorite statements um, to remember when you have a moment where you feel like judging another woman for the choices she's making is good for her, not for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's period the end. That's all it has to be. Like, you know, she wants to do what she wants to do. Good for her. Like exactly what you said, good for her. Like not the right choice for me. I absolutely love that because I really do think that that is such a key thing especially as women is it's very easy for us to like pin each other as certain categories and I even in my corporate career I was like I wanted to be like very assertive and very like I want to be like on top I want to be a CEO like this is like the career path that I want and I wasn't sure that like getting married and having kids was 
going to happen for me or like I wanted those things and I'm still like on the fence about them. Like I'm like, if it happens, it happens. If not, I'm okay. Um, but it's very, I think it's just very important that we don't put down other women because of their choices because society already does that for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no matter what you do as a woman, you're going to be judged. So can we start by at least supporting each other? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, and it is so incredible because I do meet so many women and they're all so supportive. Like I have not, knock on wood, encountered a woman that has, that is in the same space that we are, that is not willing to help out or not willing to be like, hey, like I see like what you kind of helped me with my Twitter. Like, hey, like you're, you don't know like the power of Twitter, like change these things and like, let me help you. And I think that that is, that's exactly what we need today. Amen. Amen. I can't even explain what a, what a paradigm shift it was when I really started to step into the entrepreneurial world and go to networking events and, and participate in these sisterhood communities online and just realizing that there's this whole universe of women who support women. But when you're in the corporate world or when you're kind of in the default life, there is a competitive energy because there's only so many successful women in corporate and you're always trying to vie for that next, that next role or position. It's a very masculine competitive environment and you kind of have to fit that mold in order to to survive in that dog eat dog kind of energy. So when you put yourself in this um, female entrepreneurship vibe, you realize it's all about collaboration. It's all about community. It's all about support. And that is actually, in my opinion, one of the best parts of being a business owner. Yes, I I agree. I I mean, I love that you kind of speak from both sides of like working in corporate and being an online entrepreneur because it's so so different and I completely agree with it is super competitive and I know that I was very competitive. I think I'm competitive by nature and so to put me in a corporate environment where it's like numbers driven, like I was willing to do the most to be at the highest, like whatever I needed to do, I was willing to do it. And kind of transitioning into online entrepreneurship, I realized like, okay, there's so many other women doing the same thing that I'm doing. And it is a better space to be in like a collaboration with other women rather than feeling like, like putting your business as as if it's better than than theirs, um, just depending on where you're at in your journey. So yeah, it's definitely very different. And I want to, another thing that I wanted to talk about was how you kind of had to get over some fears, and I did too, to allow yourself to move closer into alignment with who you are and what you wanted to do. So can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit with um, coming out as a queer person as a as a former sex worker and all the other ways in which my life is kind of unique or outside of the box mm-hmm. and i there's this there's this other transition that happened during that time where i started to really step into my identity as a feminist and to me that means i just believe that men and women should have equal rights and that non-binary people are valid and that um that the patriarchy or the the systems that we live underneath hurt men as much as women like we all need to work together to make it a better environment for all of us and so that um, when women have equal representation in all institutions it'll just make the world a better place so with that as the foundation 
I remember being really afraid to own that term, being afraid that like whatever the stereotype is of, a, of an angry lesbian feminist with a shaved head, like what would that mean about me and how would people judge me? Um, there's definitely a big fear there. And the more I took a stand for what I believed in, the more even to, to this day, the more I talk about how social injustices in the world are impacting all of us, the more I find my people. So I think for anyone who's listening, if you're afraid to, to like speak up and use your voice about something that matters to you, realize that you hiding out is not helping anyone, but you showing up will be a beacon to everyone else who feels the same way and who wants to align with you, wants to support you, wants to encourage you, wants to collaborate, whatever that might be. Uh, the fear is temporary. The fear is kind of an illusion. And the fear is really just your, your primitive mind. If our primitive mind works on the fight or flight sort of survival instinct, anytime we do something that is out of our comfort zone, our survival instinct wants to keep us safe. So it, it sets off all the fear alarms and it tries to hold us back. When we realize that that's what's happening, it's okay. We can like look at the fear and bless the fear because it's doing its best to keep us safe. But we know that we're not being chased by lions and tigers and bears or <laughs> raptors or whatever. Like there is no right. real threat. It's okay. And when you just step over that barrier, feel the fear and do it anyway, all the magic is out there outside your comfort zone. Totally. Totally. I... I mean, if you want to get like, this is such a Looney Tune thing that I used to do when I first started um, my business because I like didn't tell anyone about it really in the beginning. I think I only told like eight people um, and two of those were like my mom and my dad. Um, but I was so terrified of failing, of like it not working out, of me just like falling through with what I was doing that I literally used to hear like sounds like I'm schizophrenic like I would hear people's voices that I that were like my biggest critics growing up um which were like some of the people that I went to high school with and I would literally hear their voices like saying like you can't do this like you spelt this wrong like this you shouldn't be on the internet like and I realized like through my own process, like, okay, though, that's not really them talking. Like, that's just my ego. That's just my fear coming up and being scared that like, I might fail and this might not work out. But I kept like, it just, I don't even, I can't even articulate like what kept me going because I would hear those things, but I would just keep, keep going. Like I was like, I just have to figure out where this leads and where, where I'm going to end up if I take this path. Um, and so far, I really love where I'm at. <laughs> so amazing! Congratulations for conquering that because that's super hard. Uh, really over the years, I've discovered some really amazing books that have helped me with that. And the one that I keep going back to over and over is *The Untethered Soul* by Michael Singer. I think is that the one with the horse and like the blue? Yep. It's blue. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm glad you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> yep. Yep. And the, the passage from the book that I will never, ever forget is if you could take your inner critic, that mean girl in your head, that person that's always telling you you're not good enough, you can't do this, you shouldn't even try, and you could personify that voice as a person outside of you. Imagine you were sitting next to the person inside of your head. Mm -hmm. um, and you were this, this peace and the stillness and all the, all the like, possibility that your heart tries to talk to you about. And then that other person next to you was your critic. 
and let's just say you guys try to watch a movie together. How long would they last before you kick them out of the house? <laughs> like two seconds. Right? <laughs> so why do we listen to that person? And like, that just was such an aha moment for me to make me realize that that's not who I am. I am the possibility thinker. I am the one who gets like butterflies in my stomach when something amazing happens. And I just want to like on impulse, I want to follow that thing. And when you get those impulses, that's the thing you want to follow. Even if you feel fear, in fact, you're probably going to feel fear. It's normal. It's expected. Mm -hmm. So if you feel fear, that probably means you're onto something. Right. Keep following the butterflies. Yes. Do you know, you know who Elizabeth Gilbert is, right? She wrote yes. Eat, Pray, and Love and Big Magic. So she did a really good interview with Marie Forleo. I don't know if you know who Marie Forleo is. You do? Of course. Okay. <laughs> Love them both. Um, so they did an interview. I want to say it was last year or two years ago. And Elizabeth Gilbert was saying, she was like, you know, the only people that have no fear are toddlers and psychopaths. <laughs> I just kind of laughed and she was like, it's not about like fear shouldn't be what prohibits you from doing something. Like you can still move through it and work through it. And I just, that really resonated with me because it was like, when we have fear, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones who are experiencing it. And logically like that's impossible. Like the human range of emotions is only so broad. Um, but it really is about learning to recognize the fear, but then still moving past that. So, and one other thing too, I, that I don't think we talked about, and this is like totally backtracking. So why did you decide to shave your, your hair? <laughs> the curiosity is killing you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I never asked you. And then I just like thought about it right now. <laughs> Everybody wants to know because it's so unusual. You don't see women with shaved heads usually unless they've had cancer or something. So there's, it's a valid question. Um, for at least five years, maybe 10 years, I started to notice that every time I encountered a woman with a shaved head or I saw a famous woman with a shaved head, I admired her and I actually couldn't decide if I admired her or if I was attracted to her or if it was both. I kind of call that an admiration crush. Um, but I would see them, they would pass me by and I just couldn't take my eyes off them or I would encounter a woman like that and just be so sort of smitten with them. And a part of me said like, wow, one day I'm going to do that, which seemed crazy. And my critical mind was like, that's a horrible idea. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my heart was like, oh God, I want that. Um, so I kept putting it off and I kept putting it off and my critical mind kept shutting it down. So it actually is a very relevant question about fear. Um, and one day I, I host on Airbnb in my house and I had a, a random woman from Canada come stay with me and she happened to have a shaved head and I was dying of curiosity. I wanted to know why. And I don't usually get to ask that question because they're just people on the street. This was a person in my house. So I felt like I could talk to her. And she said, I just, well, she's in her case, she had um, cut her hair for charity, I think. And it's always a good excuse. If you always wanted to cut your hair anyway, and you say that you're doing it for charity, at least you kind of get away with it. Right. Like you, it seems like a like very righteous cause. She said, but I liked it so much. I just kept it. And I was like, oh, I really want to do that. She's like, you should. And I guess it was, I just needed somebody who had done it to validate me and tell me that I could or that I should. And it had been nagging me. It went from like a whisper to a yell, like your, your intuition starts out kind of quiet and gently. And eventually if you keep ignoring it, it gets louder and louder and louder. 
and there was just the point that I couldn't not do it. And so coincidentally, uh, the 4th of July was coming up. I've got all kinds of feelings about the, the history of our country, but the 4th of July is called Independence Day and I just wanted to take it at face value. So I was like, I'm going to be independent of my hair today. I think I'm going to shave my head on the 4th of July. So I set my sights. I told my wife I was going to do it. I don't know how she felt about it at the moment, but she supported me. And I turned on my iPhone camera and I set it up on a little tripod so that I could always remember that moment. And I did it by myself in my bathroom. I took like 30, a solid 30 minutes to do it and um, filmed the whole process so that I could go back and watch it. So anyone who wants to see that, um, ultimately, I did not expect to share it, but it's on YouTube now because one of my friends insisted that I put it online. So you can look up Mira Jolie on YouTube and you'll look and you'll find my head shaving video. It probably has 30,000 views now. It's like super popular. Oh, wow. I wasn't even expecting that. Yeah. Like it was, it's the most popular video I've ever uploaded to YouTube. And um, it was transformational. It changed me. It changed me forever. And it was really proof that when you do what your heart's calling you to do, even if it doesn't make logical sense, like I cried, I cried while I was cutting my hair off. I was terrified that I would hate it and it would be very hard to reverse. Impossible to reverse really. You know, it would take a long time to get my hair back. Um, but I was like, I don't know why, but this is what I'm supposed to do right now. So I'm just going to trust it. Wow. And that's beautiful. That was like way more of a like methodical <laughs> answer than I was expecting. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, it, maybe it was just like a, a vanity thing. Like, I think it looks really good. <laughs> like, no, it was like a wow. heart cooling and I've yeah. had it for four years now and it's such a distinctive part of my brand. I feel so much more comfortable in my own skin. I feel like myself with this look. Um, people compliment me all the time, which is so bizarre because I think it's, I don't know, I don't think it's the prettiest version of me. I think like from a traditional standpoint, I look prettier with hair, but it's just, it's striking. Just like it was for me when I would see people on the street with that haircut. I have that impression on other people now. Mm -hmm. So no, that's really interesting and very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. So to wrap this up, because I've had so much fun recording this with you, can, Mira, can you tell people where they can find you on Instagram and Twitter and your website and all of those good, that good stuff? Absolutely. So I have a personal and a business handle on all the things. So my personal handle is my first and last name, Mira, M-I-R-A, Jolie, J-O-L-E-I-G-H. And my business handle on all the things is Ambitionista. So ambition with an I-S-T-A on the end. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I definitely want to go watch your YouTube video now. That sounds really, 30,000 views is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so very cool. Well, thank you again so much for being able to, to do this podcast with me. It's such an honor for anyone to want to hear my story and to dig so deep. Uh, we, we, there was so much preparation here, and I just love the way that you show up in the world and the stories that you're telling. So thank you. Thank oh, you. From the thank of my heart. you. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs>